This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's official. A Northeast Ohioan who entered the Capitol on January 6th is a moron. She admits it. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here today with Laura Johnston, Courtney Astolfi, and Lisa Garvin. I love to start a podcast talking about a self-admitted moron, so let's start. A lingering mystery in Northeast Ohio is why an occupational therapist in the Cleveland schools threw it all away to be among the crazies who tried to overthrow the government on January 6th. We learned a lot about her from a 10-page letter she wrote to the judge who would sentence her, included her admission that she's a moron. Courtney, what do we know? Yeah, this, this involves Christine Priola, a former CMSD occupational therapist. She um, used to own a home in Willoughby. And, you know, this 10-page letter to the judge before her sentencing today is as I understand it, a pretty unusual move from a defendant like this. But Priola kind of laid out what has happened in her life since the January 6th, you know, riot. And she also, like you said, acknowledged that she regrets what, what, what she did at the Capitol. So, you know, at some point in her letter, Priola even told the judge, like, I, I wish I, I could go back. I wish I had food poisoning that day. I wish I had a broken leg, I, you know, wishing that she wasn't there. And she painted this very interesting of her life since then. She's had to give up her home. She's moved into her mom's basement. She said she's helping, she's been helping her elderly relatives while posted up there, but that she can't get a full-time job. She's trying to do some court, uh, some trying to get a court job. She's doing some online training, but doesn't know how a felony conviction will, will play out and what her future holds. But, you know, the, the, the 50 year old, she she's potentially on the hook for 15 to 21 months in prison. That'll ultimately be up to the judge. But this letter was an attempt to kind of take responsibility. She said she blamed others for for her being there. And she said it took her some time to stop wishing for things to be different. It took her some time to come to terms with not blaming others for her actions. And she says, no one physically made me enter the building that day. And and this is her attempting to take responsibility. This here. is one of the most insightful things we've seen to come out of this. We all wondered about the crazies. What could have infected their brains to think this was a good idea? And she really stood out because she had a great job. She's college educated. Nothing would have said that somebody with her background would be racing around the Capitol thinking that they're taking back their government. And it's almost like she woke up after a terrible hangover and is sober now looking back saying, what was I thinking? Um, and, and saying to the judge, yeah, I completely blew this. It's wrecked my life. I don't know what I was thinking. She said, I don't want morons running around out there. And I was, a moron, which which is interesting. It it actually gives you some compassion, right? Because I don't know what drove people to do this. You had you had the demagogue of Trump rallying people to do crazy things like overthrow the government. 
but but here she is. This is this is the result. She'll spend some time in prison, and her life is in shambles. Well, and and I thought I thought it was very interesting. At one point in her letter to the judge, she goes into some of the personal reasons that she said led her to go to the Capitol that day. Apparently, in the month before the riot, she said her biological father died. Her adult daughter had moved out of the house, and she said she'd been quote trying to fill a void from the sadness and extra time on her hands and by, quote, using the news and politics excessively to fill that void. She said she allowed herself to get swept away. Yeah, I've often speculated that the the reason for Trump's popularity is it was a club for people that didn't feel welcome anywhere else. And he built this community of outcasts. It was an interesting story in one of the national outlets today looking at Lincoln through the prism of today and noting that that Lincoln did not castigate the people who disagreed with him because he understood that the way to move forward is to understand them and welcome them. Her letter, I think, offers a lot of insight into what people were thinking. A fascinating story. It'll be interesting to see how the judge reacts to that. Laura, uh, Lisa, do you have any thoughts on this one? As far as, go ahead, Laura. I just was, I thought Sabrina did a great job capturing the insight because you're right. We've written a lot about these folks and like the, the woman from central Ohio who owned her own, you know, owned her own bar and she hasn't really spoken about it. That was a lot of detective work by like John Coniglia to go into her background because, you know, she had voted for Obama in the past. And then this was just like, oh, like it was really humanizing and I, 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 I do think she's taking ownership of it, which you can't say that about everybody who was there that day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think she's one of the few that's shown remorse. We've had a few that have shown remorse when they were sentenced, you know, when they finally faced the music. But I think in a large part, most of them, you know, are going to prison on an ideology that they support. Yeah, I know. But with how polarized the country is, I mean, how many times have we called them loonies? I've done it a million times on this podcast. I mean, it was crazy time in Washington with these people thinking they were going to take over the government. But unless we understand what they're thinking so that we can reach middle ground, we're never going to get over this polarization. This kind of a letter does give us some insight into what we have viewed for two years as just kooky behavior. Interesting story. It's on Cleveland.com, and you're listening to Today in Ohio. We're less than two weeks from the midterm elections, so we asked Northeast Ohio whether they trust our election system Lisa, what did they tell us? Yeah, this is a poll that we commissioned with Baldwin-Wallace University uh, Community Research Institute. They uh, surveyed 504 Northeast Ohio residents, and they were polled between October 7th and 18th on several issues, including this one. And it seems that they are far more confident in state elections than they are in national elections. And you can imagine that the demographic and political breakdowns tell the story. So looking at U.S. elections, Republicans, 52% are not to or not at all confident that these elections are fair. 75% of Democrats do are do have confidence in U.S. elections. And when you break it down by race, uh, half of black people surveyed said that they were, you know, confident, 58% of white voters, 65% of those 65 and over were confident but only 49% of people in the 18 to 49 age bracket were confident in the outcome of elections 
you know, uh, nationwide. Um, and it also breaks down as far as income too. 66% of those who make $100,000 or more a year, confident in elections, but only 49% of those who make $50,000 a year and under. But when we look at Ohio elections, the numbers almost flip in a way. 71% of uh, Ohio Republicans are confident in Ohio elections. 80% of Democrats. Uh, slightly, not quite as much change in, in race, but 54% of black voters and 72% of white voters said that they were confident in state elections. Uh, we asked pollster Lauren Copeland why. She said, well, you know, Trump won Ohio both in 2016 and 2020 by a comfortable margin while the GOP controlled the state government. So they didn't have any reason to question elections because GOP was running the show. But she says nationally, it's due to Trump's refusal to accept the outcome of the election. Well, and the Republican demagogues that keep telling people it was stolen. It, we, it remains to be seen whether the army of poll watchers that we keep hearing about will show up at the polls to interfere with people who are trying to vote. I took this as a good sign that despite mm -hmm. two years of efforts to undermine our faith in elections, people largely maintain their faith in elections. We have a very strong and sound election system in this country, but it it's not solid. It, it has some, some weakness in the foundation. And blame Donald Trump, blame Lindsey Graham, blame all these guys that go out and, and say these ridiculous things about how our elections are being stolen. You're listening to Today in Ohio. A lot of elections are determined by the turnout. If voters of one party are unexcited and stay home, the other party benefits. What do the early returns say about the largely Democratic strongholds the cities, Laura? Well, they're lagging in so far in early voting, especially in areas with large black populations. And Andrew Tobias, our political chief political reporter, looked at some firm from Target Smart, which is a Democratic data firm that I believe Tim Ryan uses in his campaign. And they did this analysis of early votes cast through Wednesday. It shows that Democrats are pacing ahead of their 2018 early vote statewide, but there's thousands of fewer Democratic-leaning voters casting ballots in three congressional districts with the highest percentages of black voters compared to the same point for four years ago. That's the third, the 10th, and the 11th. That's Columbus, Dayton, and Cleveland. Cuyahoga County is the has the largest black population in the state. And I think people are, well, the Cuyahoga County uh, chair of the Democratic Party won't say he's worried yet, but obviously there's some concern here. There ought to be concern. I mean, it, the numbers are significant, and it's giving hope to Lee Weingart that he can be this rare Republican that wins a countywide race. This is not new. Since Obama left office, you've seen depressed turnout in this county. We saw it last year in the mayor's race. A very small mm -hmm. portion of the population actually chose the leader of the city. I, I'm surprised. I thought because there's been so much mania about this election and because of the Ryan Vance debate, the Democrats would show up, but they're, they're obviously not as interested uh, to judge this by previous elections. Yeah, the Cuyahoga County has an 18% drop in people applying to vote for this election, which is huge. And so- But, but let me, let me stop you for a sec, though. Yeah. We have talked a lot about mail theft, 
Um, we I mean we've had mm-hmm. people running around with mailbox keys for years, stealing mail, taking checks. Nextdoor.com is loaded with information about how dangerous the mail is. I wonder if people are figuring I'm going to the polls. I'm not going to trust it to get stolen in the mail. Well, that's t- entirely possible. And we're still a week and a half out. There's still a lot of early voting days where you can go to the Board of Elections and vote early in person. And yes, you can drop off your ballot at the Board of Elections. I was actually uh, looking at a photos from two years ago, this time of year, when my friend had sent me pictures of her standing on the side of the highway, that I-90 exit. um, You know what? People were lined up to vote early. I hope we do not see that again the weekend before the election because nobody wants to wait in line for hours in the cold in order to vote. Although that was presidential, I mean, you're talking 2020. It was presidential, Right. It, it Right. Two years ago, it was presidential. But so you're hoping, I hope that people don't wait till the last minute because then you get this clog of people trying to vote and it's not good for anybody. But um, what's fascinating, there's a couple of fascinating things about the story, but like, I love, obviously no one knows how you vote. It's private, but they can just know by past activity and and primary ballots that you pull what people are likely to vote so all of these estimates are just that they are just guesses um but then we uh, andrew talked to someone who said you know abortion is a huge issue on people's mind um and we don't you know people are talking about it but that inflation that might not be enough to drive them to the polls i hope I hope this doesn't mean that for those of us who vote at the polls on election day are going to be in long lines because all the people that didn't mail in their ballots. I mailed in mine, so you cannot blame me. (laughs) We'll see. It's today in Ohio. Courtney, you had a hell of a story yesterday. Did Justin Bibb, the Cleveland mayor, break the law with his selections for the new police commission? Yeah, this was a a bit of a doozy to report. So what we've learned from these 13 nominees that have been put forth by the mayor and city council for potential seating on the Community Police Commission, these people have not been formally appointed yet. They've still got to go through council's confirmation process. But if this preferred list is allowed to proceed, some of the key folks behind getting issue 24 on the ballot, which created this new beefed up version of the Community Police Commission, say that the city is seating these people incorrectly. They say that the way the city is reading the charter regarding the kinds of people who, who are to serve on the commission, that that Bibb's reading of the charter is, it's a direct violation of this law that, that voters overwhelmingly put in place last year. And what this all comes down to is one line in the charter that that lays out essentially five different categories of folks that are to be represented on the commission. It includes attorneys who have represented cases of police misconduct, people wrongfully convicted, um, where police were involved in that wrongful conviction, people touched by gun violence, people touched by police violence. And so uh, Bibb's point person on this selection process for all these members told me that the city was interpreting that line to mean they only needed to tick one of those various boxes, not all five of the various boxes that are outlined in the charter. Now, that is a big issue for the folks uh, behind issue 24 who said, A, the plain language of the charter does not allow um, the city to interpret the language this way. And they said, you know, 
plain language aside, this is not at all what we intended. We specifically worded it the way we did so that one from each of those five categories would be represented on the commission. The shame of this is that that Bibb was the only candidate for mayor who stood firmly behind this charter question. Uh, and and you would think that he would support it 100%. What they're doing is preposterous. You can't do what they're doing. So it makes you wonder, is this intentional? Because anything this commission does, if it's not composed correctly, the pol- if the police don't like the decision, they'll sue. And they'll say, well, it's not even in accordance with the charter. And anything it does is not legal. I, I just don't get it. it. I mean, this is, seems like such a clear-cut case why would they do it unless it's intentional to sabotage this commission so that the city doesn't actually have to follow it? What did Bib have to say? Nothing, right? Because he won't respond. I, I reached out to Bib for comment. I have not heard yeah. that yet. Um, I did talk a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, I did talk a little bit to the council president, but I'm still waiting to hear what the mayor has to say here. You know, after, after I first got this legal understanding from the point person on on Bibb's selection process. I then talked yesterday to city law director, Mark Griffin, and it it sounds like Griffin, uh, Griffin said he agrees with that legal reasoning, the legal reasoning that you only have to tick one of those boxes. But also he then claimed that even on top of that, that somehow that they'd ticked all of those boxes. They didn't think they had to, but they said they did because one of the members was, for example, familiar or knowledgeable of attorneys who had worked on cases of police misconduct. Now, this member has developed a a nifty app that walks criminal defendants through the legal system, but the the charter framers call that kind of argument from Griffin nonsensical, you know, uh, that someone that, 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 they intended for an attorney to be seated on this commission. They intended for someone wrongfully convicted by police to be seated on this commission. And what the city's going back doing now is saying that that this one member, because she's familiar with these issues but hasn't actually worked on them or wasn't actually wrongfully committed, that that technically ticks the boxes, even though they argue they don't have to technically well, tick the boxes. And this is Mark Griffin, who did not stop Bibb from marching in the municipal court to expunge thousands of marijuana records, which turned out to be illegal, and they ended up having to drop the whole thing. So maybe his legal opinion on this is as valuable as it was on that. It's a good story. Read it on Cleveland.com. Glad Courtney was here to talk about it today. It's Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We've got a good bit of experience now with medical marijuana in Ohio. Is it working to treat things like cancer pain and post-traumatic stress disorder? Lisa, what do the doctors tell us? 
Yeah, it's certainly there are 25 diseases or conditions that are, you know, certified to be, you know, recommended for marijuana treatment. And out of those, you know, four of them, they were very satisfied with. This was a survey by the State Medical Board of Ohio. And out of 648 doctors in Ohio that are certified to recommend marijuana, 583 of them responded to the survey. So that's a really high participation rate. So they found that their satisfaction was best with treating chronic, severe, and intractable pain. So over 59% of those surveyed said they were satisfied with that for marijuana as a treatment. 53.5% were satisfied with uh, cancer patients, you know, using it with cancer patients. 50% of doctors surveyed said it was good for fibromyalgia, and 50% also said it was good for post-traumatic stress disorder. We want to stress that this is physician observations only, so it's just their view of whether it's working for their patients. But uh, the 21 other approved medical conditions got a satisfaction rate of 50% or less, some of them really low. I mean, only 10% of doctors surveyed were satisfied with its treatment for Huntington's disease, and only 16% were happy with its treatment on uh, sickle cell anemia and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as ALS. But they wanted to stress that there was low dissatisfaction on all 25 conditions on the list due to the relative low risk of marijuana. Well, I, I get it that, that it's doctor's observations, but doctors hear from a lot of patients who have pain. And if what they do for those patients doesn't alleviate the pain, the patients raise hell. Now, the doctors also make money when people come to them to get the medical marijuana card. So I guess there's some of that. But I, I was fascinated by the fact that it had such a high value for cancer patients. Yes, yes. And actually, when I was working at MD Anderson, you know, they were, it was called a, uh, I can't remember it was a pill, but it was a marijuana pill that they're, Marinol, that's what it was. And there was a big controversy about whether they should give it to cancer patients, but then they finally said, yes, it was a good therapy. And I do want to point out that a psychiatrist, Dr. Solomon Zara, who is a psychiatrist with Compassionate Cleveland, which is a medical marijuana practice, he said that his PTSD patients saw almost immediate improvement with their sleep. Sleep disruption is a big deal for PTSD patients. And he said they're also less anxious and hypervigilant after uh, ingesting marijuana. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Does video show Shaker Heights police shot a man who was running away from them and not aiming a gun at them? Is that why the Shaker Police Department refuses to say a word about this? And where are the socially conscious Shaker Heights residents not having outrage about, one, what the video shows, and two, their police department clamming up? Laura, this is a shock. It is a shock. And I don't have all the answers for you. Um, I just know what we know, and that's on Friday afternoon, about three o'clock, that there was a chase in the schoolyard of the Shaker Heights High School and police shot a, a man. I Honestly, I don't know if he's 17 or 25. All we have is this video to go on. And there were no kids at school that day. There was It was a day off from school, but there were teachers in the building. There was a lockdown at the school and there was, you know, band kids that were going to be coming to get ready to go to the football game that night in Cleveland Heights. But we have this video. We don't have a police report and it shows 
you know, it's body cam footage. It's very jerky. It's, it's police officers with a police dog running through the yard over some bushes, over a sidewalk, yelling stop at this man. You can see he has a gun in his hand. He stumbles and then he seems to be stopping, at least slowing down and his arm swings back. He never turns to face the officers. And I don't know if he's being tased or he's falling or trying to stop or what, but, um, that's when he gets shot. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's out of control. When you watch the video, the, the, the officer is out of control. I'm going to shoot you screaming at the guy. And th- there doesn't appear to be any point, any point in there where that guy aimed the gun at the officers and then they shot him. No. So, okay. But, but the video is the video. Maybe they can justify it. They refuse to talk. Compare this to Akron, how Akron, the mayor and the Mm -hmm. police got right out in front, talked in detail about it, constantly were available. The Shaker Heights police refused to say, I mean, if I lived in Shaker Heights, I'd be livid that my taxes are paying these guys and they refuse to be accountable for shooting a guy who was running away from them. I, I feel the same way. I, I don't understand why they haven't released this stuff. And you're right. This this does feel a little bit similar in the chase and, you know, the car issue to Jalen Walker, which uh, he was shot at the end of June in Akron. And there we got a very detailed explanation, including the breakdown of the officers involved, not the names, but how long they'd been in the department, their you know demographics and the police uh, chief the family the mayor, they all did a press conference. That was a week afterward. And remember, they have in their charter that they are required to to release this video. So the thing is, this wasn't even a car. Like it was a theft of a car of a guy who lived with a woman in Painesville, I believe on the 12th of October. This was not anything that had happened immediately before. There was no danger. It was that they stopped the car because they saw in their police system leads that it had been stolen. And that started this chase. The guy bailed from the car, started a foot pursuit, and and then he gets a shot. And we don't know if he dies or yeah, died or not. We it's don't just know. A pro- we have so many police departments in this county, and they don't have the training they need. They don't know how to be accountable. And Shaker Heights has a long history of being one of the least accessible. But this is, this is just terrible. And I, I'm still surprised. Shaker Heights claims to be a socially conscious community, why aren't they demanding answers from their elected officials? The police should not be able to hide out for a week and refuse to address this this very, very serious issue. Anyway, you can see the video. It's on cleveland.com. See what you think. It's today in Ohio. Remember that Cleveland area doctor who told an Ohio House committee that COVID vaccines magnetize people? Sounds like she might finally pay for her stoogery. Courtney, what's going on? Yeah, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, you know, a Northeast Ohio osteopathic physician, she's she's um, you know, under inv- investigation from the state medical from the state medical board. Um, the 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 board says that it's considering punishment that could go as far as revoking her license to practice medicine in the state of Ohio. Now, a refresher on on Tenpenny here, you know, she went before an Ohio House committee in the summer of 2021 saying that, you know, coronavirus vaccines could interface with cell towers and magnetize recipients. Tenpenny has a long history of being an anti-vaxxer. I think this goes back 
over 10 years. She's got a big following in, in that in that realm. Um, you know, she she baselessly claimed in front of that health committee that she, that vaccines run a risk of causing cancer, ALS, other diseases. And this whole this whole incident at the Ohio House really drew a lot of national media coverage and it eventually helped rile up enough political opposition to kill a broad anti-vaccination bill that she was appearing so she could testify in support of it. So we don't know, though, exactly why the state medical board kicked off their investigation, but we do know that they are accusing her of ignoring for months investigators' requests for more info and for, you know, allegedly defying uh, a subpoena seeking her deposition here. Well, I'm glad they're doing something because this is embarrassing to live in Ohio and have an official hearing where where an Ohio doctor gets up and says that nonsense. It was covered everywhere. It was just one of the more ridiculous things. You wondered what the legislature was thinking, allowing somebody that out there to give official testimony because these are supposed to be hearings in which you collect facts. And here you have somebody, you know, talking about cell towers and magnetism. I mean, she may as well have been wearing an aluminum foil hat. So I'm glad to hear that the people who license doctors are alarmed and are going at it. And I can't wait to see how this one comes out. There is a time when people who do bad things face the music. It's today in Ohio. We're going to say goodbye to Courtney because she wants to get out and cover some news. Thank you very much, Courtney. Bye. Has a Northeast Ohio startup found the solution to the oft-reported truck diver shortage in the workings of dating apps? Lisa, this is an unusual story. I think it's brilliant. This is a Cleveland startup called Drive My Way. It's software where truckers can post profiles of their work preferences and needs and get matched with employers via an algorithm, just like eHarmony or Match or whatever. This was founded in 2016 by Beth Potratz to solve problems that she's seen as an HR pro since the 1990s. She says employers have this one-size-fits-all policy in hiring and not considering worker needs, which are really important important for truckers because their work and personal lives are so intertwined. A lot of over-the-road truckers live in their vehicles. So there are 70,000 driver profiles on Drive My Way, lots of engagement. She says that there are less than 100 employers on the app so far, but most, some of them are very large freight companies. So, you know, she says this is really helping them as well. And yesterday she got $4.4 million in venture capital for this app, some of it from Jobs Ohio Growth Capital Fund and some from Jumpstart Ventures. And the American Trucking Association says, you know, hey, we're 80,000 drivers short as of last year. That could grow to 160,000 by 2030. So an app that can match truckers with employers is a great thing. Yeah, it's a cool story. Uh, Really, whenever those kind of things pop up, you just go, huh, had no idea. So it's on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. We got one more. Why did a warship enter the port of Cleveland this week? And what does it have to do with baseball? Laura, one of the more unusual visitors to our our lakeshore. 
This is so cool. And I have to thank one of our readers for pointing it out because I haven't seen it. Uh, But it's Tom Miller. He sent us a photo by email. And it's the USS Cooperstown built in Marinette, Wisconsin for the U.S. Navy. Christened earlier this year, now on its way to Naval Station Mayport near Jacksonville, Florida, where it's going to be commissioned. So Cleveland is its first port of call. The ship's going to take on some fuel, replace their storage, and give the crew a little shore leave. They get to go out and see the rock hall and tour around. Um, But this is a really cool ship. It's fast and agile. So it's built to operate in shallow water. It's the 23rd of its kind to be built by the Navy. And they're primarily being used for drug interdiction in the Caribbean. Yeah. The, the, the picture of it, it's not the kind of thing you normally see on our shores. We don't have battles of Lake Erie anymore. Uh, So it was (laughs) the whole thing where they've got all the baseball hall of flame plaques all over it. There's going to be another one of these built that's actually named the USS Cleveland, right? Yes, absolutely. I had had no idea. And there are 70 members of the National Baseball Hall of Fame who also served in the military. So copies of their induction plaques are on display all over the ship because of the name Cooperstown. That's where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. And there's a plaque for Cleveland Indian great Bob Veller. He served in the Navy as a chief petty officer in the Pacific during World War II. That's on the door of the chief petty officer's mess. Okay. It's today in Ohio. We're done for the week. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to the departed Courtney. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday with another discussion of the news. 